So good to be together, and uh, great uh, for those engaging online, just praying that you're having a rich experience with God. Wasn't spring great yesterday? Man, that was good. But we're going back to what we know. I think it's in a couple days, hey? Just that that's a word of encouragement for you this morning. Yeah. Today is the second message in this living free teaching series through the powerful. It's going to be powerful. You can you feel it? I feel it. Uh, this, the second message in this living free teaching series through the New Testament letter of Galatians. And for those online, the notes, the scriptures that you see on the screen are in the, uh, the notes tab for you to access there. Last week, we read from Acts 13, which is the historical narrative of uh, this missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas in the region of Galatia, uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And then uh, we continue on in reading that historical narrative in in the 14th chapter of Acts, which we'll read from briefly in a moment. Uh, Luke, the author, who is a physician and a historian of precision, as we said before, uh, he reveals why, in Acts 14, why Paul wrote what he did in Galatians. And so let's read from Acts 14 and then from today's Galatians passage, verses 1 to 7 of Acts 14, the historical uh, narrative. The same thing happened in Iconium that had happened in a previous place that they were at. Paul and Barnabas Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles who, again, anyone who was not a Jew in that category poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them or kill them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area, and they preached. There they preached the good news. So over to this letter of Galatians that came about uh, some years later after they had been in this region doing ministry, our passage for today and for next week, 6 to 9, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, 
Let them be under God's curse. He reiterates. For emphasis, obviously. A different gospel. A different gospel. Hmm. That could be that could be the, what the angel Moroni uh, delivered to Joseph Smith, the first Mormon, or so he claimed. A different gospel. A, a different gospel is heard in some Christian churches which says that if you have enough faith, you'll be wealthy and healthy. A different gospel. That can be People who, who like what Christ has to offer, but they mix it with the spirituality practices of their family background and they attempt to blend the two. It's a different gospel. Paul says, don't go there. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't teach that. Don't live that. Paul Washer put it well when he said, the true convert does not receive the gospel as an addition to his previous life, but in exchange for it. Well put. Today and next Sunday, we'll, we'll look at something referred to as progressive Christianity. Uh, today, some general background and thoughts. And next Sunday, we'll look at some of the uh, historical biblical teaching points that progressive Christians are uh, reworking, redefining these days. There's a book I recently read that addresses this other gospel, and some of you have read it, and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Another gospel, it's called. I'm getting a, still a bit of a kickback. I don't know if it's one of the monitors. I guess there's no monitors up here anymore, is there? Uh, I'm just, I don't know if you can hear it, but I don't know what that means, and I'm, I, I pray for sound, guys. I'd much rather, this sounds weird, but I'd much rather be up here than back there, and you, but these, these people have uh, gifts, but I'm just saying uh, it's a little distracting. <laughs> I'm getting a bit of a kickback. Um, the book is called Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity by Alyssa Shilders. Alyssa Shilders was part of a uh, teen pop, Christian pop band in the early 2000s that, I don't know, maybe three or four of you would know about, and two of whom would be my daughters. Um, but anyway, she wrote this excellent book. Now, another gospel. Again, we, we read it. The Apostle Paul used this phrase first. He, he expressed astonishment that the Galatian believers whom he had taught the true gospel to had, had deserted Christ by turning to this different gospel, and then again, he quickly adds, it's really no gospel at all. The, the Galatians, the Galatian believers were people who had heard the clear and true gospel message uh, that, that had been passed down right from Jesus directly to his apostles, the message of who Jesus was and what he came to do on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to secure Eternal life for anyone who trusted Christ. And, and these people to whom Paul is writing this letter with great concern for them spiritually has embraced Jesus Christ. They, they had embraced Jesus Christ and this, this, this true and good news message. But, but then they were, they were influenced by some who had twisted the truth as we talked about last week. And, and this same thing has happened at, at various times down through the centuries. Uh, 
fairly recent example is uh, the Jesus Seminar. I mean, recent in terms of centuries uh, in, in the 1970s. Sounds, sounds like something you'd want to be a part of, right? The, the Jesus Seminar. <laughs> Not so much. The, 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 see, the, the, the familiar sounding words and terms from the Bible were here again, redefined and distorted by, by this Jesus seminar, this group that claimed they wanted to find the true Jesus. Well, they basically deconstructed the reliable and eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John uh, in, in order to fit their unbelief that Jesus is God with what they taught, or to fit their non-belief that he rose from the dead, along with some other key biblical doctrines that they uh, edited. This is happening today on the church landscape. People being led astray to a- another gospel that is really no gospel at all, which, which is what led this author, Alyssa uh, uh, Shilders, to do a, a deep dive study to see if the Bible that she was raised to believe as, as uh, trustworthy and authoritative and inerrant uh, or without error, to see if that was really the case. And that's a great search. That's a great thing to do. And she did it very thoroughly. As, as, as you, if, you know, if you've read the book, you know that. Now, to clarify this title, progressive Christianity, sounds, we could have positive connotations in our mind associated with that tag, but it's not, it's not a positive thing. Because we must never progress beyond or outside of what God de- defines as truth right here. The progressive Christian movement has sought to adapt Christianity to the current culture of uh, postmodernism. And, and of course, as most of you know, postmodernism uh, rejects the idea of absolute truth. Progressive Christians feel, uh, feel very free to dismantle historic biblical teaching that for centuries has been uh, considered and, and verifiably shown to be God's truth. I'm using Schilder's excellent book as the primary resource, as you'll hear, throughout the next two Sunday messages, because she addresses the current concern that many of us have about how the church in North America right now is being, and I don't know, maybe in other parts of the world too, I'm not sure, but it is being affected by these ideas. We must be aware. She writes about witnessing the gospel in action as she was growing up. But then she writes this, I had no toolbox to draw from when every belief I had been so sure of was questioned. And it wasn't an atheist or a secular humanist or a Buddhist who facilitated my eventual faith crisis. It was a Christian. And more specifically, she writes, it was my progressive Christian pastor. She wrote about a study group that her pastor had invited her to, and she was shocked to hear uh, her pastor call himself, in that group, a hopeless agnostic. Uh, Sorry, hopeful. (laughs) Sorry, that changes it a little bit. A a hopeful agnostic. (laughs) But, But still. An agnostic is someone who believes that any ultimate uh, reality like, like God is, is unknown or unknowable. 
Webster, I happened to look up definition in Webster's dictionary of agnostic, found it interesting. Webster wrote it this way, an agnostic is someone who is unwilling to commit to an opinion about something. I thought that was kind of interesting from Webster. Schilders quickly realized that her so-called study group was a, was a group intent on dismantling the basic and historic teachings of the Christian faith. And, and this group wasn't discussing what we sometimes refer to as uh, secondary doctrines. It doesn't mean they're not important, but those secondary doctrines, and a variety of them that there are, uh, are it simply means that they're, they're, they're teaching points that won't impact our eternal salvation. There's, there's wiggle room on, on, on some of those things. No, th- th- this group was a- a- attaching new definitions to primary and core uh, b- beliefs like the virgin birth of Jesus. She basically in the group heard, yeah, that doesn't really matter. Or they were negating the necessity of the atonement for salvation. We'll, we'll, we'll get to what that word means, but uh, it basically means... We need a substitute to pay the penalty for sin, to take the penalty of, uh, of our sin. The, it, our sin is atoned for by Jesus being our substitute. So she was in this group and they, they, were, they, were, they were negating the, the atonement or, or, or our need for it. Nah, we, we, don't, we don't need a substitute to step in for us. Jesus' death, they said, was, was, was just to show a great example of love. It was that, of course, but oh, it's much more. And we need much more for eternal salvation to be ours. And about the resurrection of Jesus, Shilders could not believe her ears in this group. It was, hmm, probably happened, but you don't really have to believe it. Have they read Paul's strong words about that in 1 Corinthians 15? If, we, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, we, we got nothing. We should close the doors and go home if the resurrection didn't happen. And it's a very verifiable historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible being inerrant, discussed in the group, without error, who would believe that? God forbid you believe that. And all of that kind of doctrinal stuff Put together and add to that the, the cultural discussion about gender and sexual orientation in this progressive Christianity. The suggestion that God's clear design from Scripture for the expression of, of, of uh, human sexuality is to be within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Archaic. So in a nutshell... That was the study group that she was invited to in her Christian church some years ago. This group believed that asking questions was far superior to being convinced of anything. Now, of course, asking questions in an honest search for truth, for biblical truth, uh, is, is important and should never be short-circuited. You know, maybe, maybe some of you grew up in an era when you, you heard, don't, don't, don't ask that question. Ask the question. Be genuine in your ask, but be tenacious and honest 
in your search for the answer to that question. Asking authentic questions is, is vital to landing solidly on truth. But the, but the idea that being absolutely convinced of anything is restrictive and not possible, as many progressive uh, Christians say, is, is just ludicrous. And as they say this, they also have certain beliefs that are, or that, that they are absolutely convinced of, you know? Like their absolute belief that there is no absolute truth. <laughs> Get the irony? Philosophically, it breaks down pretty quickly. To be truly Christian, there are some biblical truths that we cannot redefine. Because the, the Christian faith is not a, a my truth thing. You've heard that these days? It's not. Because your truth may in fact not be truth at all because truth is objective and verifiable. And so to, to, what, then, to, to, to what objective and reliable source are you aligning or comparing your, your truth with? Your truth. The Christian faith is far better than a, than a subjective moving target like that that's expressed with these words. Well, that's my truth. What, what, that, that's, your, that's good for you. That's your truth. Christian faith far superior because it's based on the truth. And, and don't you want, don't you want your life and, and your, especially your eternity based on what's actually true and what is reality as opposed to being based on some uh, squishy, subjective possibility of my truth. I'm not comfortable with that. I mean, God either exists or he doesn't. The Bible is, is inerrant, uh, the inerrant, perfect word of God, or it isn't. Jesus either rose from the dead or he didn't. God's specific design for sexuality is either the best way or it isn't. When people use the term my truth, do they, do they really think that something can be made true because they decide to call it so? See, so much of that in our culture today does not make sense. God is the only one who can legitimately use the term my truth, isn't he? Because he is truth. He, he is truth personified. All truth is his, and he is truth personified. Childers describes the silliness of this my truth expression with, the, with this illustration. She writes, should I just pile a bunch of bacon in a bowl and call it gluten-free salad? Yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. I love bacon too. Uh, as much as I, she writes, as much as I might want to pick and choose what I believe, it's not realistic. If my truth says pork is the new kale, the consequences of that idea will bear out in reality, despite how strongly I may feel about it. My feelings about bacon won't change what it's doing to my heart, my blood pressure, my thighs. This is why, she says, this is why my truth is a myth. There's no such thing. 
bacon is either good for me or it's not. And what I believe about it can have life or death consequences. And of course, her point is the same thing. It's the same thing related to what we believe about Jesus and the gospel. There are sad stories of well-known people who embarked on, have embarked on faith. faith they're, they're calling it faith deconstruction journeys, sadly. Like, like the mu- music duo, the Gungors, or former pastor's wife, Jen Hatmaker. Uh, New Testament professor Mike Gungor uh, writes, has written an article fairly recently entitled, Jen Hatmaker and the Power of Deconstruction Stories, where he identifies uh, some of the common denominators of these stories, of these deconstruction stories, identifiable steps like uh, often the case, uh, re- recounting the negatives of your fundamentalist past or your legalistic past, those, those that grew up in church, uh, positioning yourself as the offended party, portraying your opponents as overly dogmatic while you're just a seeker. Interesting article. Musician Lisa Gungor blames a mega church for her finding unbelief. Huh. Well, you can, you can blame the imperfections of any church, big or small, whatever style, because, because they are, all of them have imperfections because they're led by imperfect people. Newsflash. When we stand before God, and we all will, He will not ask if, if your pastor or your church let you down. He already knows that happened and will happen. He won't ask you if your church came across as unloving in their defense of biblical truth. And, uh, truth. and, and listen, of course, I'm not advocating for judgmentalism. Uh, judgment. I'm having trouble with my words today. Judgment. Yeah, I did have coffee. Mariah. I'm not advocating at all for judgmentalism or harshness whatsoever, nor should we excuse it in any way. I'm just saying that when we stand before God, he will simply ask, did you trust my written word, which made it clear that you needed Jesus Christ to atone for your sin so that you could be invited, welcomed into the eternal family of God? And did you repent of your sin and turn to me? Did you do that? That's all that will matter at that important moment in history, in our future. And yes, God cares deeply about any hurt that you may have experienced, but all I'm saying is that it's 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 a very sad overreaction to dismantle your faith and and reinterpret God's truth and turn away from Christ because you had a bad church experience. Sadly, that's all too common. Next Sunday, we'll talk more specifically about some of the specific doctrinal areas. Uh, that, yeah, like I said, that are being redefined. But I'll, I'll wind down today by touching on something that many progressive Christians are uh, also redefining. And uh, I, I alluded to it already. God's definition of uh, human sexuality so so prevalent and, and has been for many years, uh, a, a shift, even in the, the Christian definition, sadly. 
It's not surprising that Schilders addresses this topic in her book with, with, with great concern surrounding some of the, the Christian leaders over the last number of years who are coming out making, uh, not, not coming out necessarily, uh, but coming out with statements, making uh, these, these new and improved, although that has happened sadly, uh, new and improved human, human sexuality statements or, or positions, and many that are blatantly against what God says in the Bible. Now, for those, who, for those who don't profess to be Christ followers, we can't expect someone who is not a Christian to order their lives in the, in the ways and teachings of Jesus, right? So, I mean, that, that's, that's a different conversation. But Childers reminds us that God is the designer of the gift of sex, and that's what it is. God is the designer of it. He, he created it, but, but he gives it to us with, with, with life-giving boundaries that are for our good and our well-being in this. And, and as the creator of all things, including the gift of sex, he has every right to do that because, because he knows best since he's the creator. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we're taught by God that sex is to be, as I said already, between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant for life. And any, any, any sexual act, any sexual act outside of that biblical definition, God declares as sin. Childers boldly says, we can't redefine what God calls sin and still presume to identify that ethic as Christian. I agree with her. Because there's some that are redefining it and wanting it to be accepted as Christian. You can still, you can still fully love, and we must fully love the one who is broken with experiencing human sex. They're, they're, Expressing their human sexuality in a way that is not in God's design. Yes, loving people. You can still fully love people without compromising what you know to be true about God's good gifts. Right? In a small book written by Sam Albury, a pastor in the United Kingdom, he shares his experience that as far back as he can remember, he struggled with same-sex attraction, but, but knowing and believing what God says in the Bible about this, he chose a very long time ago now to lay aside those desires for the sake of honoring Christ and, and has remained celibate all of his adult life. And in his, in his book, a very, very good and, and, and brief, small book, it, it, it's called Is God Anti-Gay? recommend it to you for reading. Pastor Albury references uh, a famous saying of Jesus in, in Mark 8.34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny him th themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then Albury writes, it's the same for all of us. And he's, he's talking about different struggles for different people. And we can't always understand the struggles of somebody else. He says, it is the same for all of us. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Denying ourselves 
uh, doesn't mean tweaking our behavior here and there. It's saying no to our deepest sense of who we think we are for Christ's sake. I'm going to read that again. It's the same for all of us. We're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Denying ourselves doesn't mean tweaking our behavior here and there. It's saying, rather, it's saying no to our deepest sense of who we think we are for the sake of Christ. He wisely and rightly points out that no matter what our individual struggles may be, the gospel demands everything from all of us. So again, we'll pick up next Sunday looking at how core Christian beliefs are being dismantled by some and often because, uh, because believing in absolute truth just flies in the face of a pluralistic culture that says all belief systems are equally valid. Sounds loving, but it's wrong and not biblical. So, so because of this cultural pressure, and, and many of you experience that. You know it in your interactions with people, with your family, in your workplace, or many of you at school and, or at college or university. You know this. But, but, but some, it, it appears that some just can't take being so countercultural as Jesus calls us to be as his followers. And so they end up doing what Paul wrote about in Galatians 1.6 from today's passage. They, 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 they desert the one who called them to live in the grace of Christ. For some people, it's not always that they necessarily disagree with these Christian beliefs, but they feel the cost of following Jesus is too high. That's, that's sad on many levels. And certainly it's sad because they, they, they are then trading what is very temporal for something that is eternal. And eternity is a long, long time. So as we close, I want to read the last two verses of our passage again, verses 8 and 9 of Galatians 1. Paul again writes, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Wow. As we have already said, so now I say again, Paul writes, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And in both verse 8 and 9, you heard it, that word, the Greek anathema, to be under God's curse, literally is to be consigned to eternal destruction. Strong, strong language. But that's, that's how serious God views any distortion of the gospel that would put people's uh, eternal salvation in jeopardy. He loves us that much to be that bold and blunt. And remember, in Galatians, it was the false teachers, as we talked about last Sunday. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. I encourage you to do that, to, to kind of keep keep with us uh, on track through this Galatians 16 message Galatians series. But the, the false teachers that Paul is addressing, is, are, they were called the Judaizers who were leading people away from a, a, gospel, a grace-filled gospel and Jesus-centric gospel to a works approach. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't quite enough. We talked about that last week. You, you, you can listen to messages that, again, many times, the initial thought, oh, yeah, they, it, 
it's hard to describe, but there, there's, there's a way, there's, some, there's a spiritual element to this, my, my friends, but believe me, you can listen to something that, that can, can easily draw you a, a direction away from the gospel of Jesus. I'm just saying this as coming alongside the Apostle Paul, and I'm not comparing myself to him, but just coming along with what he has written under God's direction for us to just, just be aware, be careful. My friends, my Christian friends, know your Bible. Read your Bible. That's why for many, many years now, we've given you the Bible reading engagement tool and, and, and resources and encouragement. It's so vital. Know your Bible. Read your Bible. We can't do that for you. That's on you. Ask the Holy Spirit to be the illuminator of truth and then, and then be discerning. Be discerning. Ask God for discernment as you hear as you see, as you listen. And use God's word as the plumb line for what you hear when you listen to a podcast that somebody gave you. Or a sermon on YouTube. Or the, the latest and newest book that's out there in the Christian world. And many of them are great. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But just, there's, there's enough... Yeah. You know this. There, there's enough out there that requires us to be discerning and hold to the truth that's here. And again, that takes reading. That takes time. That's take, that's take conversation. That takes you know, interaction. As a pastor, I would, any of us would, would love the privilege or a Christian friend that you trust that's walked with Christ faithfully. Talk about these things. Don't listen to everything that you hear and read. And, and for us as a church, you know, it's kind of a, well, I was going to say a sidebar thought, but, but maybe not really. It's for, for us as a, as, a, as a church, it's the, the truth and clarity of the gospel of Jesus that always must be the standard by which our message needs to be tested. Something my dad used to say as I was growing up when he'd be preaching and I'd be sitting where you are. You know, no, no. Don't believe me. Test what I say by the word of God. Truth, truly, truly. For us as a church, it's the truth and clarity of the gospel of Jesus that always must be the standard by which our message needs to be tested. Not the charisma of a speaker, not the crowd or the hype, not the lights and the haze. Lights and haze don't, they, they, they do nothing to enhance the gospel. Some like them, some don't. There's an aesthetic element. That's fine. That's, that's good. It's okay. But those aren't the things to test our message by. As a church, it's how Do we share the gospel? And what or how do we d d describe and put forward the gospel of Jesus? And, the, and, the, and this gospel, this beautiful, beautiful power, eternity-shaping gospel of Jesus is, is, is described clearly and repeatedly throughout this, this well-loved letter of Galatians. I don't think this is on the screen, but you might want to write it down. 
The gospel of Jesus is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel of the good gospel, good news. The, the good news message of Jesus is by grace alone. It comes to us by God's grace alone, giving us, loving us in a way that, that we don't deserve. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is by grace alone, through faith alone. I just, I just, I, I believe you, God. I believe your word. I trust you. In Christ alone. What a beautiful thing it is to receive the gospel of Jesus and to receive Christ. Next Sunday, we'll, we'll talk about some elements of the, of, of the distortion of some of the key biblical doctrines, as I said, not attacking people, but, but addressing and, and assessing wrong teaching. One is wrong to do, and the other is wise to do. So we'll, we'll do that next Sunday. But maybe you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you've never come to the place to see your need of Christ's forgiveness. Maybe you've been trying to be good enough for God. Please give up on that. Oh, I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm not saying stop trying to do good things. But if you're banking on those good things getting you into heaven for eternity, I'm sorry that it, it's, it, it's not that way. And I'm glad it's not that way because I could never do enough. I could never be good enough to be accepted eternally by a holy, perfect God. That's why Christ came to take my place. I deserved punishment for my sin. <laughs> but Jesus stepped in for me and for you. And his offer is, trust me, love me, follow me. Surrender, repent of your sin, surrender your life to me. Invite me, invite me to be the, the forgiver of your sin. That is the thing that keeps us from a holy God. I will remove that barrier. I want to be, invite me to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. And from here on, we're living eternity together. My child is what Jesus says. If you've not done that, it's as easy as expressing that to God. You don't have to sign up to join a church. You don't have to, you know, no. I'm connecting in a body of believers is vital and, and very New Testament. But, but it's not that. It's not that that gets you to heaven. That gets you into God's family. In this moment, you can just simply talk to God. Pray. That's what, that's what prayer is. Just talk to God. And say, God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came to step in for me. To, to die in my place under God's wrath for sin. It was poured out on Christ on the cross. Very biblical statement there. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me so, so I wouldn't have to die, so that I could live eternally with you in your family. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing stuff, my friend. I want to leave my old life. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to grow in this relationship with you. If you want to do that this morning, I, I pray that you would. If you do, whether in this, in this uh, gym, auditorium, or engaging online, I want you to pray right now, if that's your desire. If you've not done that before, or maybe years ago you did, you've just wandered far away from God. Today's your day. Today is your day to come back to Jesus Christ. He's waiting with open arms. 
as you pray something like this. It's not about the words, God knows your heart, but God, I love you. Pray this in your heart right now. Pray this out loud right now. God, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for your, your grace, your, your unmerited favor and love shown to me in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying in my place so I could live free, free from sin, free from bondage of sin, free from the fear of what the future holds, free in Jesus for eternity. Thank you for that gift. I receive it now. I receive you now, Jesus. I repent of my sin and I surrender to you. I want to follow you. Help me to know daily what that means, what you said when you talked about picking up my cross to follow you. Whatever it costs, Jesus, I'm willing. Walk with me from this day forward and into eternity. In your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to hear about it. I really would. Not to harass you, but to, to help you, to celebrate with you, to give you resources if you need, to give you a Bible if you don't have a Bible. Please let us know. There's a, a QR code you can, you can scan with your phone. And those engaging online, of course, will see that as well. And just would give us then the opportunity if trust us with your contact information, and you can. We'd just love to touch base with you. Uh, God bless you.